I'm now on the line to Singapore to speak to Jonathan Asante of First State, manager of our Global Emerging Markets Fund since its launch in April 2010. Jonathan, it's great to speak to you again. Jonathan, this fund has performed exceptionally well against the peer group since the launch in 2010. Perhaps you could remind investors of the approach that you and your colleagues adopt in terms of investing in stocks in the emerging markets and selecting companies within the portfolio. Yeah, thanks. The first thing I wanted to say was that the markets have been very kind to our approach in the last three to five years, really. And we certainly didn't expect them to be as kind as they had been. But really, I think what you're really highlighting is not the sort of very strong absolute performance that we've achieved for clients is that the emerging market index has performed really quite badly. And perhaps the best starting point to say is that the first thing that we very fervently believe is that, that when you build a portfolio, you have to ignore the index in order to beat it in the medium term. And so the, the fund bears no relationship at all to the index. So what, I think what you're really highlighting is, is that the index hasn't done very well in emerging markets at all. The way we invest is based on a number of core beliefs, if you like. The first is to ignore the index. The second is to focus on the quality of the people and the companies that you're giving your clients money to. And we spend a lot of time thinking about the history of those people and those companies and the strength of the the franchises and the history of delivery for shareholders and what good things they've done and what bad things they've done for shareholders in their histories. And I guess the final real piece to it is to um, focus on capital preservation, which is as important as capital gain. It's to it's to think about what can go wrong all the time and what's going to go wrong with the world or with the company. So it's to be risk-aware all the time and not just assume that things are going to go the way of the company or your way all the time. So I think we we've, we, we try to, to stick to these, these core beliefs and we try to have a remuneration structure that bolsters those core beliefs. So we have to eat our own cooking. We have to put most of our wealth into our funds, most of what we're paid into our funds. And I think that's a very good discipline to have as well. I agree. And and you talked about essentially preservation of capital for holdings within the portfolio. Do you think that's a differentiating factor for the way in which you earn money compared to others in the region? It's a good question. It's very difficult for me to to comment on others. But what what I can say is that we have a structure which allows us to deviate from the benchmark index, you know, infinitely, very, 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 in a very great manner. And uh, that's a privilege, and that we have that structure because clients um, trust us in the medium term to deliver for them, and it's not a privilege that we, we ever want to abuse. If we had to sort of stick very close to the benchmark index, it would be impossible to do this. Now, what this means is that our funds tended in, in the past to do very well under certain market conditions, and in relative terms, not do as well under other market conditions. So we tend not to keep up with markets when they're very strong, especially when they're led by very fashionable sectors or very cyclical sectors, like, such as resources. We will lag significantly, but then we, tend, we have tended in the past to do much better or to, do, uh, to hold a lot of capital, to preserve capital when, market, when people are very worried about the world. And that's really how we've, um, we've built our, our franchise, if you like, over the last 25 years. And, and talking of deviation from the benchmark, but in respect of uh, countries, I think I'm right in saying that the fund currently holds relatively small weightings within stocks in China and India. I'm sure our listeners would be interested to know what your current views are on these countries as, as a potential investment opportunity, and uh, in, uh, in particular, how reliant upon the fortunes of China is the rest of Asia. The first thing to say is that um, China and India are huge economies and with you know, myriad opportunities for all kinds of investors in the next 15, 20 years. My job is very, very simple which is to identify a subset of companies that meet our criteria, quality-based criteria, and then to own them when they're cheap enough to make acceptable returns for my clients and myself. And the, the, the company weightings, it's not really a country-driven thing, it's to do with where are the companies listed in those countries, do they meet the criteria, and are they cheap enough? Certainly good quality companies in India and China 
are pretty fully priced at the moment, which is why you won't find many of them in the fund. We find it generally easier to find good quality companies or companies that meet our criteria in India than China, although that itself is changing as well. So it's really to do with just can we find the companies and are they acceptably priced at the moment? I think the second part of your question is spot on, which is to think about the risks that sort of this endless Chinese growth miracle of that stopping the risks that that has to all kinds of things, not just in Asia, actually, but into any commodity exporter, South Africa, Brazil. A lot of countries have sort of cut their cloth to a world of endless growth in China. So I think China's slowing down, and I, I, I think Chinese growth is inevitably going to be... It's not very insightful to say that the bigger it gets, the more difficult it is to grow, but also if you consider the impact of pollution in China, it, all of it points to much slower growth than we've had in the past. And you want to have companies that can adjust to that world of slower growth. And what you tend to find is when it, when people get used to a very rapid growth, sometimes when economies slow down, um, some companies go to the wall. So we want to find companies that are that, that can benefit from the ongoing opportunity. It's just not going to be this sort of you know very, very rapid growth in the future. And talk, talking of company specifics, can you illustrate what you're saying there in, in respect of companies that you've added to the portfolio over, over the past 12 months? We are looking for a number of key tailwinds and the sorts of companies that we want to invest in are ones that can benefit from, from those tailwinds. The most obvious tailwind that you might have in a place like China is uh, increasing consumption and the fact that the country has been so dominated by capital spending, building infrastructure projects, which is what led to this whole argument around the supercycling commodities. Now, we've been very sceptical about that, so we don't really own the commodity um, resource companies in any, in any big amount our funds but but we're looking for companies that can benefit from increased consumption and you can look globally for those as long as you know they, they've got it got exposure to to china you can you can look globally for those so more recently we've added a japanese company called unicharm that we've been looking at for many many years which has a business which is a is like a mini procter and gamble it's a consumer business but it's expanded in emerging markets over emerging markets and in china in the last number of years and has been has been doing very well the point I'm really trying to make, I guess, is that it doesn't matter where the companies are listed. You can benefit from the China growth and the growth in China from successful companies based in Taiwan, in Japan, in the UK. We have a significant holding in SAB Miller, which is a beer company that actually I just met before I came here. The gentleman was telling me they've been in China since 1994, and their joint venture in China now is the, you know, the largest selling beer brand by volume in the world. It's significantly larger than Budweiser. So you can see that you can benefit in many ways. SAB Miller's listed in London. He's now a FTSE 10 company, he was telling me. And, and, and therefore, uh, presumably, you don't have some of the sort of corporate governance risks that you might have owning uh, a company in, in, in one of the small emerging markets. It's a very good point that um, for us, governance is very important as it's a risk mitigator and we, want to give our, we don't want to sort of wake up in the morning and find that we've, something terrible has happened to us. And we, we like to be aligned as far as possible with, um, with people running and owning companies. One of the difficulties we have in many countries is, is finding, and, and some of the companies listed in those countries, is finding that, 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 that sort of combination of alignment and delivery. And certainly because of the nature of the Chinese history and the political economy, you'll find that many companies are very close to government and whose mandates are split, really, between doing stuff for the country and doing stuff for investors. Now, that may be a very, very good thing to do if you're running a country, but that can pose real problems if you're investing in some of the companies. We're asking a very simple question is, how do we benefit in the long term from all of this? And how you benefit is, is usually by finding effective managements with good track records who can adjust to all the stuff that happens that's unpredictable and who are aligned with you to return you some of the cash flow in dividends in the medium term. 
And that's the question we really always ask ourselves. So despite the fact that um, emerging markets have actually underperformed so far this year and, and, and therefore been a bit of a, I suppose, a disappointment almost, you, you still feel confident about the, the longer-term prospects for investing in emerging markets? I think there's a number of themes, but the most important theme that I, that I view as continuing in the next five to ten years is this merging of the developing and the developed world and how best to invest. I think the idea that people will get richer in the developing world is, is a very strong one and is, is going to continue. I think people will get richer for a whole number of reasons. But how do you best benefit? And because of this merging of the developed and the developing world, I think that your emerging markets fund manager is going to have to be able to access companies from all over the world uh, to benefit in the best way from the emerging markets. So the opportunities there is just, again, make sure that I'd say that the emerging market fund manager that you have can, can do all of that stuff. Because many of the companies and the large companies listed in emerging markets, even though they're listed there, may turn out to be um, not the best investments. I often tell, ask people to consider the National Health Service, which is full of extremely bright people. You know, in my generation, the best people became doctors. They certainly didn't go to study economics. And so they go into the National Health Service and they, they, they're the brightest and the best. But if that was ever to list itself on the London Stock Exchange, you would never invest in it because the mandate's conflicted. The more people it saves, the less profit it makes. And so, again, it's not about the quality of the people in these organisations. It's just the mandate's conflicted. So you have to be very careful that you can, can, you can really benefit from all the, all, the, all the really good stuff that's going to happen in developing countries in the next 10 years. I completely agree. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating insight and I look forward to speaking to you again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.